married to Lisa. I've got three boys who ran out just before, um, and I'm one of the elders here. Um, we're going to carry on uh, looking at Luke, as we've been doing for the past few weeks, looking at the passage that was just read out um, for us. Why don't I just pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you um, that it gives us guidance, it gives us knowledge of you, but also gives us life and nourishment and encouragement. I pray that through your word this morning, that's what you would be doing. You would be building us up and pointing us towards you. Amen. So I, I quite like cycling, and I, I like doing long rides. Um, I once did a charity ride with colleagues where we went um, five days tower to tower it was. So it was from Radio City Tower in Liverpool to Eiffel Tower in, in Paris. Um, and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, saw lots of different sights. But one of the best bits was that feeling at the end of the day where you know, you've accomplished something and you can just sit down, that satisfying deep tiredness, and you can just have that well-earned rest at the end of the day. But one night we'd had a particularly long day and it was about 10 o'clock at night when we finally got to a restaurant ready to eat our dinner at night. So I wanted something hearty. So I ordered steak and chips. Something good, you know, proper that would nourish me. But I was in France and I thought tartare was the type of like sauce that went with the steak. But actually in France, steak tartare is like raw ground mince. So it's basically like a raw burger with a raw egg yolk on top. And it came out, I was like, what is this? That is definitely not what I was hoping for. The meal, the rest wasn't as satisfying as I was looking for. And I think life can be like that a little bit now. Uh, as Pete was saying before, we feel tired, and we feel drained, we need the rest. We see it on adverts everywhere all the time, these pictures of people chilling on the beach, or adverts of money raining down after winning the jackpot so we can finally retire. Now, rest is vital and rightly promoted, but I don't know about you, it doesn't seem to work. Like when you have a nap and you wake up more tired than you were before, rest doesn't quite hit the spot. There's a cloud of weariness that kind of just won't go away. Like after my ride, we need a rest, it's often unsatisfying. We're going to see in the next section of Luke's Gospel about the life of Jesus, that God provided that rest, that satisfying rest in him. So firstly, we're going to see that we should enjoy the Sabbath, God's gift of rest. So we're going to have a bit of background reading to start us off. Um, in Exodus chapter 20, it says this, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See those words at the end? He blessed it and made it holy. A gift from God. He wrapped it and put a bow on it. And do you see the origin of it as well? It's got its roots in creation. You do all your work, but on the seventh day, don't work. Just like God did in creation. Let me remind you of the refrain 
running through the creation story. Um, God called, I'm going to read some verses from Genesis 1 and 2. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. God made the wild animals according to their kinds and God saw that it was good. God saw all that he made and it was very good. He worked and then rested in a finished creation. There is a joy in that rest, a satisfaction, a settled kind of peace. That is the rest of the Sabbath, a job done kind of rest. But it's tempting to see the Sabbath as just a template here. God created and then enjoyed the fruit of his labor. So we should do the same, strive during the week and then reap the rewards at the, re- the weekend or strive during your life and then enjoy your retirement. But the Sabbath is much more than a template. It's an invitation. In Exodus 31, it says, You must observe my Sabbaths, then ends by saying, So that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Deuteronomy also says that Sabbath is a time to remember his salvation. So Sabbath isn't a time to rest from our works, but rest in his finished works. We pull up a seat next to God, sit down with him, enjoying what he has done. Join him in that God saw all that he made and it was very good. It's not just a break, but a reminder of who God is and what he has done for us. Now this is lovely, isn't it? nice break but why is it so important exodus 70, uh, 31 for example says that whoever does any work on the sabbath day is to be put to death quite brutal isn't it and also in our passage this morning we get the sense of weight as well in about a third of the interactions jesus has with the pharisees are about or on the sabbath the pharisees were obsessed with it But rightly so, the Sabbath is serious, as it says in Exodus 31. It's a weighty matter because it reveals our hearts towards God. Are we going to accept his invitation, his gift, his present? But to accept it, we need to drop our own pursuit of rest. We need to admit our weakness. We need to admit that he's the one who's done everything. We can't do it on our own. We need to be dependent. See how God is the one who makes us holy? Not ourselves. We rest in God's work, not ours. We lean on him, not ourselves. But that's the challenge of the Sabbath. Do we lean on him or on us? This yearn for rest is built in all of us, the need for a Sabbath, this desire to stop, but not just stop, stop in success, in completion, in finality, stop having made it, just like God. It's described as an eternal inner murmur of self-reproach, that voice inside that's constantly whispering, constantly pushing, saying, it's not enough, you're not enough, don't stop, keep building, Lean on yourself, keep 
pursuing, keep going until you finally make it, until you do it. But all that voice does is produces a weariness inside of us. I'm sure we all feel that tiredness that isn't solved by a good night's sleep. The kind of defeated sense of tiredness that we've conceded we won't ever shake. Most of us tend to respond in two ways to that weariness, to that desire for finality. Overwork. Try to achieve that one big thing. Push against it. That doesn't get us the rest that we crave. Or, like me, we slump on a sofa and give up. But that doesn't give us the rest we're looking for either. We wake up just as tired as we were before. It tells you that the problem is deeper than that. That we need a deeper solution. We're going to look at the Pharisees' solution to this next. To see how the Pharisees don't lean on him, don't accept his trust, but lean on themselves. So this story is split in two, but each story kind of mirrors each other. So we're going to look at the first part of each um, story. So the, the Pharisees approach to rest. They take it seriously, and rightly so. They've got really detailed, specific rules on what they can and can't do in the Melikot. There's 39 types of labor that are banned. And if you break one of them just a little bit, you might have well broken it loads. So what the disciples are doing, they're reaping, winnowing, selecting. They're essentially farming on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were not happy with that. And then in the second passage, in verse 8, we have someone with a non-life-threatening condition. They've had it ages, and they can wait another day. What's another day for them to wait? Helping someone with a life-threatening condition is fine on the Sabbath for the Pharisees, but not if it's not life-threatening. So the Pharisees are watching. What is Jesus going to do? They're there to pounce. It's in verse 2. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? But Jesus defends the disciples. Verse 3, have you never read what David did? He refers back to a story in the Old Testament where David and his followers were hungry and in need of food. They go to the priests and all they have is consecrated special bread that is only lawful for the priests to eat. But they ate it. And... It was fine. Nothing happened to them afterwards. They didn't suddenly melt away. Um, God didn't punish them. The point Jesus is making is that the ceremonial laws aren't empty. At the center of them, they have mercy and grace. In a different place, Jesus summarized the commandments as two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. At the center of the commandments is mercy, grace, and love. This theme carries into the second story. There's a man in need of healing. He's in need of grace. Jesus asks, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? 
at the center of his Sabbath is good, saving lives. And as we said before, the Sabbath is a gift, an invitation with God's rest at its center. But Jesus has to correct the Pharisees. Because as we peel back the rules that the Pharisees have put together, their 39 things you can't do, what are they? They're just that. They're rules. They're empty. There's no meat behind them. As he peels back the curtain, there's no scripture, no compassion. Do you notice the irony of what the Pharisees are saying? They're looking and saying the disciples are farming and Jesus is healing. That's wrong. But they're spying, scheming, plotting destruction. And those things are okay. It's madness, really. So why do they do it? Why do they cling to these empty rules? Because they don't want God's rest. They want their own. They're trying to build their own temple of rest through the rules. They're trying to build themselves up, pump themselves full so that they're strong enough to rest in. Prove themselves with their own personal holiness that is finished, that is complete, that they can rest in and say, it's done. But time and time again, we see Jesus dissecting them, pulling back the curtain and revealing their nakedness. It's an element of emperor's new clothes about them. They don't know their condition. Let me tell you now, I can't sing. When um, we try and sing nursery rhymes together, me and Lisa, Lisa just stops singing because I put her off so much. She's like, no, I can't do this. I'm constantly changing key. But unfortunately, I haven't always known that. So once I accepted an invitation to join a choir, um, we performed in front of a big crowd of people. And beforehand, I was even giving tips to other people on how to sing. I wonder what they thought of me. Um, and when we actually did the performance, not only was my singing not up to scratch, I wasn't keeping in time either. And I was in the middle of the group. And one half of the choir was singing at one time. The other half of the choir was singing at the other time, and we were swaying as well. So as we were swaying, I was in the middle, clash point, as we just went more and more away from each other, and it was a bit of a disaster. Um, I was blind to my inability, and it led to my embarrassment. But it's easy to do. The Pharisees here, they're blind to themselves. They didn't realize the complete and utter depravity of their actions, the emptiness of it. They'd amputated love out of the Sabbath. That's silly. And our reaction is to draw back and judge. How could they be so stupid? But our other reaction should be fear. These people aren't very different to you and I. How could they be so blind and so ignorant of their own condition? It's the Pharisees who often get the most criticism. It's the Pharisees' condition that is the one to be feared above all, but also one that is prevalent in all of us. That's why the Sabbath is so key here. It's a window into the soul, into how we are relating to God. And what does it highlight in the soul of the Pharisees? They aren't resting in God. They're resting in themselves. 
They don't depend on God. They call themselves followers of God, but that is empty and meaningless. That is the challenge of the Sabbath as well. What are we going to do with our ineptitude, with our shortcomings, with our complete and utter depravity? The Pharisees' answer is to hide it, to bury it, to construct a fort of rules and hide away behind them to combat anything that comes against it. See how the story ends in verse 11? They are furious. Jesus is exposing their, ang- uh, their nakedness and they are angry. They want rid. I assume, we assume that that can't be us. But that's what the Pharisees thought as well. That's why the Sabbath is a gift. Your restlessness is a gift. Your weariness even is a gift. Listen to your restless minds as they bear witness to them, to you. Your weariness is telling you to depend on God, to rest in Him. Use your weakness to drive you to Him. Don't be ashamed. Don't hide it. Use your sin to chase you to him. Admit it. Listen before it's too late. And for those who aren't Christian here, I'm sure you feel that tiredness as well. Where are you going to get that rest you so desperately yearn? Can you get it on your own? The reality is there's so many dark corners in our hearts for sin to hide. The same sickness lives in us that lives in the Pharisees. So what can we do about it? Well, thankfully, Jesus offers a completely different approach. We're going to see that we can rest in Jesus' response. We can rest in Christ. So Jesus ends the first section in verse 5 by saying, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man is a title that originates from Daniel where it's associated with the Messiah who's given authority, glory, and sovereign power. It's a bit hard to understand. But the section ends mirror each other. So we've got verse 5 matches up with verse 10 and 11 which say, He looked round at them all, And said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teacher of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. See what it means for Christ to be Lord of the Sabbath? It means two things. Restoration or fury. Jesus invites the man up to make a theological point, as we were talking about before, to expose the Pharisees. But that isn't his only objective. He sees the man with the shriveled hand. He sees the pain. He sees the suffering. But he doesn't only see. He has the power to do something about it. At the center of Jesus' Sabbath is love. Notice the comparison The Pharisees' empty rules, but Jesus' deep mercy and compassion. Now, he makes it look easy with the man with the shriveled hand. But unfortunately, our problem and our need for rest runs deeper than that. 
We've got the same problem as the Pharisees. But the solution is ironically picked up by the Pharisees in their fury. They knew something had to be done to Jesus. He had to be got rid of. But it wasn't in the way they were thinking. He went to the cross willingly to take on our sin, to die our death, to do the work that we couldn't do, worthy to do what we can't. But let me read some words that he said as he hung on the cross dying. These words might be familiar to a lot of us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me just read a little more of the quote from Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. On the cross, he finds no rest. He finds our restlessness, our weariness, our pain, our troubles, our sin. Christ with God stepped into the perfect rest on the seventh day. But he stepped out of it for us. And as he stepped out, he uttered these words. It is finished. The words our restless souls are desperate to hear. It is finished. You are finished. The work is complete. You don't need to strive. You don't need to strain. You don't need to work for your status, your identity, your success. It's done. You are clothed in righteousness. The eternal rest you're longing for is yours in Christ. If you're a Christian here now, please say that to your souls right here, right now. It is finished. Enjoy it for a moment. It is finished. That is what the Sabbath is. That rest is what Sundays are all about. God's gift to you. First through creation and then again through the new creation in Christ. He's done it. How can we go about enjoying this rest? Verse 5, make the Son of Man the Lord of your Sabbath. As it says in Daniel, all the nations and peoples of every language worshipped the Son of Man. Let's make our Sundays about Jesus, about worshipping him above all. Worship Jesus. And we do that primarily by enjoying him. That's the heart of the Sabbath. Make it the heart of your day off, the heart of your Sundays as well. Now there's many ways to serve on a Sunday. Singing, coffee, kids, welcoming, chatting, preaching, reading, praying, notices. Lots of things to be done. It's tempting, tempting to get busy doing on a Sunday. Judge how our Sundays have gone by how we serve. Maybe even only come to serve when we've got uh, come to church when we've got something to serve on when you're needed but the way you serve best what we really need as a church you to do is to rest is to come to breathe to rest 
to be served by him, to enjoy and worship him with us. That's best for you as you step to be restored by Christ and renewed by him, but it's also best for us. We long to be a community, of a church of people who have rest in him at the center, at the heart of our Sundays, at the heart of our communities, is resting in his restoration, in his completed works for us. Also a temptation I often have is when I'm too tired to come on a Sunday, I need a break. Well, sometimes we do need a break. Um, but the most restful thing that we can do, the most satisfying rest we can get is to rest in him. Rest in his completed works. The rest the world promises is shallow, empty, but the restoration in Christ is rich and deep. Let's come together and drink deeply of it with one another.